on behalf of the General Assembly, I have the pleasure to welcome to the United Nations His Excellency Hayat Macias Bolsonaro, President of the Federated Republic of Brazil, and to invite him to address the Assembly. The stage was the United Nations General Assembly, but it could have easily been a political rally in a countryside town. Speaking before representatives of 193 nations and to the millions watching at home, Jair Bolsonaro talked about issues that only really resonate among Brazilians, and not even among all Brazilians. Actually, his 30-minute speech targeted a specific demographic, his hardcore supporters, a group of 12% of the population, give or take, who are on his side no matter what. This week we speak with two experts in international relations to discuss what to make of Jair Bolsonaro's first speech at the UN. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Obrigado a Deus pela minha vida, pela missão de presidir o Brasil e pela oportunidade de restabelecer a verdade, o que é bom para todos nós. Since the 1940s, tradition has it that Brazil opens the debate session of the UN General Assembly. Why do you ask? Well, because in 1947, then representative Oswaldo Aranha simply volunteered to do so. It was in the early days of the UN and nobody really wanted to speak in front of the rest of the class. Mr. Aranha just put his hand up high and Brazil has spoken first ever since. This first position, just before the speech by the US president, gives Brazilian leaders a major stage to address the international community. In Brazil's democratic era, presidents sought to convince the world that Brazil has the credentials to be a relevant actor in international relations. In 1991, Fernando Collor, the first man elected president after 21 years of dictatorial regimes, focused on human rights. He wanted to show that Brazil had broken with its past of political persecution and torture by state agents. Ten years later, Fernando Henrique Cardoso asked for reforms in international governance bodies, saying that they couldn't simply privilege winners of a war fought in the 1940s. His successors, Lula and Dilma Rousseff, tried to place Brazil as a model for social inclusion and fight against poverty. But Jair Bolsonaro has proven he's not your average president. Constantly squinting his eyes to try and read the teleprompter, Bolsonaro talked about God, socialism, gender issues, Venezuela, and of course the Amazon, bluntly transitioning from one topic to the next. So we reached out to two experts in international relations to help us assess what happened in New York. President Bolsonaro clearly adopted a line that is consistent with his communication strategies going all the way up to the presidential election that eventually landed him the presidency. This is Matias Spector, a professor at think tank Fundação Getúlio Vargas. Doubling down against his enemies, 
dividing the world between those who are on his side and those who are against him, uh, denying the empirical evidence that suggests that Brazil has serious problems as far as the environment goes, and denouncing those who have critiqued Brazil in the past. That strategy, which has served Bolsonaro well um, in his rise to power, is now the strategy he's adopting as president and in his communications with the international community. So in that regard, no surprises, no changes. We had um, a view of what Bolsonaro is made of. In that sense, I think the, the speech before the General Assembly is consistent with everything else we've seen from him the past several months. We also asked Mauricio Santoro, a professor at the State University of Rio de Janeiro. It was, without a doubt, the most aggressive speech that a Brazilian president ever made in, at the United Nations. And uh, I'm not talking just of the comparison with the democratic presidents, but also with the dictatorship. Now, at that time, the presidents didn't speak at the UN. It was more the foreign minister of the ambassador uh, in New York. But even so, even during our authoritarian regime, we didn't have this kind of aggressive speech. So it was really something out of, of any, any comparison in our recent history. And I think that most Brazilians don't realize how strange the discourse of today was into a, in terms of an international scenario. I mean, it, it, it really is something that highlights these strange moments that we're living in Brazil and in other countries who went through this national populist path. Professors, the general reaction, both inside and outside of Brazil, seems to suggest that Jair Bolsonaro's speech was a completely disaster. But what are the possible practical consequences of this? So my sense is that the main effect the speech is going to have is to convince those abroad, in particular in Europe, who believe that there is not a chance the Brazilian government will change its tune and change its policies with regards to the environment unless there is more international pressure, there is a credible threat of economic cost. Um, my sense is that the speech will embolden those who say, unless we pressurize Brazil through sanctions or the threat of sanctions or the threat of a suspension of trade agreements, uh, the Brazilians are not going to change their policy. Those voices have been strengthened by the, by the speech and by the overall attitude that President Bolsonaro has adopted on the issue of climate change. And it's bad for him, it's bad for the country, because Brazil is facing international boycotts and the risk, even the risk of sanctions uh, against what's going on concerning the destruction of the Amazon rainforest, regarding uh, the lack of action from the Brazilian government. And we're seeing all that happening in a moment where Brazil needs, in a desperate way, trade and investment. So I don't see any points where the president is actually gaining, except in domestic politics. And I think that at the end of the day, it was a lost opportunity, even for, for 
his most basically uh, domestic goals. So yes, you're saying that his words might be highly detrimental to Brazilian trade, which is puzzling because just a few months ago, his administration helped push for the Mercosur-EU trade deal, something that his own government has gloated about. So why risk everything? Why give ammunition to countries that want to block the deal? I think what you're saying points towards a point others have made in the past. And that's the idea that Bolsonaro, when it comes to foreign policy, is his own worst enemy. As you know, as you say, and pointed out correctly, this is such a phenomenal juncture for Brazil. The agreement between Mercosur and the European Union could potentially transform the Brazilian economy for the better. This would be a game changer in terms of Brazil's position in the international system. And this is an outcome that the Bolsonaro administration itself fought for very hardly in the last few months, in the last stretch of the negotiations. And yet, now that the agreement seems to be ready for ratification, who's become chief enemy of the process of ratification by creating the conditions under which enemies of the agreement, that is, the protection of interest of industries, both in Brazil and Mercosur countries and in Europe, um, Bolsonaro has just made their lives far easier. My interpretation is that the, the deal with the European Union is more controversial inside the administration than we think. There is, of course, a big group inside the Ministry of Economy, inside the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who support the deal, who worked hard to get the negotiation going with the European Union. But I believe that there are many people in the government who are actually quite critical of the deal with the European Union, and they are trying to do everything in their power to undermine it. Because if Brazil follows what this kind of political line about the environment, there is no way that the European Union will support the negotiation, will sign the deal. I mean, we are already seeing many signs, for example, in Austria, where the parliament rejected the deal. And we are seeing this kind of discussion going on in France, in Finland, in many European countries. And until now, the deal is still to be signed. It's just a, a draft that we have nowadays. So there is room for many changes. There are many ways that Brazil can, can try to, to undermine what was already negotiated. And I think that the government is doing just that. Bolsonaro was followed in the UN General Assembly stage by US President Donald Trump, who can be called many things, but probably not a moderate. So was this a time when actually being overshadowed was positive? Well, Trump's speech is much more important because of the United States is the biggest economy in the world. And of course, that he was very aggressive concerning what he calls globalism. But at the same time, there were points in the in, in when Trump discussed, for example, LGBT rights, that he actually sounded moderate in, into the, with the comparison to Bolsonaro. It's a difficult moment for multilateralism. And what we are seeing right now is this uh, nationalistic and populist 
movement going around. And uh, even if they are facing political instability inside their own countries, this is not really a good moment for a liberal and international uh, institution. This administration has been a true political patchwork. Uh, we at the Brazilian Report have extensively written about that. Uh, we have the military, uh, libertarian economists, the agribusiness lobbyists, and the president's families. And these groups don't necessarily share the same interests. So who has the president's ear? I mean, it's also worth bearing in mind that a photo was leaked of Eduardo Bolsonaro, the president's son, speaking with former White House advisor Steve Bannon. It was a victory for the anti-globalist group inside the administration. It was a very aggressive discourse against multilateral organizations, against international norms, very nationalistic speech. And it was the kind of political line that we could identify with Steve Bannon or Olavo de Carvalho, this kind of uh, ideology linked with the alt-right, linked with these global nationalistic populist movements. So it was a defeat for people like Paul Guedes, for the technocrats in the Ministry of Economy. And it's hard to, to believe that they're going to be able to conciliate these very different political lines into a coherent foreign policy, into a, an economic policy that makes sense. The president also talked about Venezuela and how the ghost of socialism was still haunting Latin America. So how do you both see Brazil's position within South America? Nobody believes that Venezuela is a good and stable country. So why the president is criticizing Venezuela so much, I think it has to do with his efforts to mobilize his base and to, to polarize Brazil, saying that the alternative to him is Venezuela, that the alternative to him is the far left. And what we are seeing concerning Venezuela is that uh, so far, these regional efforts to try to find a political solution to the crisis, they have failed. And Brazil and other countries bet into Juan Guaidó, believing that he would be an option to Nicolás Maduro, but it failed. And even the, the negotiations that are going on with the support of Norway, well, they are facing a, a difficult moment right now, and we don't know if they are going to lead us into some kind of, of deal. So it's a difficult moment in the region. And we are also seeing the, the political uh, instability in Argentina. There is a very good chance that the Peronists are going to win the next election. And that would be a very complicated scenario for Bolsonaro. Very clearly, Bolsonaro in attacking Cuba, Venezuela, and what he calls the threat of socialism and communism in the Americas is a signal to Donald Trump. Uh, as you know, the President of the United States, too, in his speech, made references to these um, alleged communist socialist transnational coalition that is seeking to undermine global order. So that's one part of the answer. The second part of the answer seems to me to be directed at the transformation that's happening in South America now. In neighboring Venezuela, of course, we have a regime that is imploding um, at enormous cost to the population, no doubt about that. 
but it is also the fact that the left seems to be now primed for re-election in Bolivia. It also seems to be the case that come the 28th, 27th, sorry, of October, uh, a left-wing party is going to win the national elections in Argentina. It also seems to be the case that the left now constitutes the most plausible alternative to the declining powers of the Colombian president, Ivan Duque, in Colombia. So by attacking the left, Bolsonaro is positioning himself and positioning Brazil at the opposite end of the current transformation in South America that is seeing the left make actually several electoral gains across the board. Ironically, however, Bolsonaro has not tried to put together a sort of right-wing coalition with the one country in South America that has been governed by the right, and that's, of course, Chile. Rather than try and bring Chile on board of that coalition, a sort of anti-left coalition, he has alienated Chile by critiquing um, the former president of Chile, Michel Bachelet. So, again, in many respects, what we've seen earlier today in the General Assembly speech speaks to this notion that perhaps when it comes to foreign policy, Bolsonaro is indeed his own worst enemy. Despite Brazil being by far South America's biggest economy, uh, we don't trade much with the region. Uh, South America accounts for just 16% of Brazilian exports and 14% of imports. Aren't we missing a huge opportunity to be a true regional leader? Brazil has 10 contiguous neighbors. These are borders that are very difficult to control, but very difficult to manage as well. And the reason why isolation breeds trouble for Brazil is that unless the president of Brazil, whoever that might be, manages to engage in very active cooperative diplomacy with its same neighbors, then the end result is that porous borders become a major source of problems for Brazil. This is what we're seeing now with the expanding power of transnational criminal networks, in particular drug trafficking, as the United Nations body that studies and deals with the issue of drugs has put it, Brazil has now become a major hub for the export of illicit drugs uh, through the Atlantic Ocean. This has a very deleterious effect on social security and citizen security across Brazil, both in the countryside but also in major cities. Resolving the problems of high violence in Brazil, and Brazil is one of the most violent places in the Americas, unless there is active cooperative diplomacy between Brazil and its neighbors, that problem will not have a solution. So by alienating neighbors, Bolsonaro is really shooting himself in the foot, not the least because one of the main arguments that propelled him into power was precisely the notion that as president, he would, he would be able to tackle crime. There's not a chance crime can be tackled without 
very active cooperation with neighboring states. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. Lucas Berti produced this show. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It only takes a second, but it is really important for us. And make sure to visit our website, brazilian.report. Enjoy our free trial for seven days. And it is really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also support independent journalism by donating any amount to the Brazilian Report. Go to brazilian.report slash donate. If you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week. Thank you.